0: No book on earth is deeper and richer than the Bible, and few passages of scripture go deeper than the book of Romans. Welcome to Canyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick, a ministry of Canyon Ridge Baptist Church in San Diego. You'll hear verse-by-verse preaching that will help you know and love Jesus in a personal and practical way. Open your Bibles with us to Romans. And listen in to part one of this message as we learn together from God's Word.
1: Chapter 12 in your Bible this morning, Romans chapter 12. This is the fifth and final division in the book of Romans. Now, if you're going fifth and final, we're almost done with Romans. Oh no, we got a long way to go. But it is the fifth and final division. There are five divisions that make up the book of Romans, not including the introduction and the conclusion. And this one runs from Romans chapter 12, verse number one, through chapter 15, verse number 13. And the primary focus of this division, this section of the book of Romans, is practical Christian living or the believer and his daily behavior. Practical Christian living or the believer and his daily behavior. So, So far in the book of Romans, we have looked at uh, the other four divisions that have dealt primarily with doctrinal matters of sin and judgment, the doctrine of salvation. We spent three chapters talking about the fact that you and I are sinners in desperate need of a savior and Jesus Christ, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity is the only person who can save us from our sin. There is no other means of salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going to try again. If you're a guest here, just sit silent. But our here's the Bible says that the redeemed of the Lord say so, and everybody's supposed to have a part in the service. So when we get to true points, we're like, oh, amen. Yeah, I believe that. That's good. That's good. I know it's the end of the year. You only have one service today. So either be excited or we'll be here for a long time. So either way. So the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation for mankind. That's how we do it here. Now, don't run the aisles. If you do that, our ushers will take you out. They'll take you out. And the chaplain will pray for you, but we will send you to a special place. Uh, so, uh, But... Um, we spent three chapters. So if you're here today and you're still questioning or you're questioning or it's your first time here and you're like, what is that all about? Here's the reality. You're a sinner. That means you violated God's law just like I am. We've all violated God's law. The Bible says for, we actually looked at it, Romans chapter uh, 6 verse uh, or 3 verse 23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us are a sinner. That doesn't make you worse than me. Doesn't make me better than you or anybody else in this church worse or better than you. No, we are all equally sinners. And because of our sin, there is a price to pay. And that price to pay is separation from God, eternally in a place called hell. But there's also a price that we pay on this earth where the Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter four that on this earth, we have bitterness, wrath, anger, malice, evil speaking, filthy communication. Those are all works of an unsaved individual. Those are all works of the flesh. Those are all works of, of people that have rejected God. But when God saves a person or gives them eternal life because they have repented, that means to agree with God that they've sinned again him. That's why we have to repent to say, sorry for our sin. God, I'm sorry that I've I've disobeyed you. I'm sorry I've rejected you. I'm sorry I've violated your law. That when we ask God for forgiveness and ask him to come into our heart and to save us from an eternity separated from him, he promises to give us eternal life. But not only do we get eternal life, heaven and all of that, we also get the great benefit in this life, Of the Holy Spirit of God, and the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, and peace, and long-suffering, and gentleness, and goodness, and meekness, and faith, and temperance. Against such there is no law. I'm just going to put this out there. The Christian life is the best life ever. It's the best life ever. Some would say, well, you Christians live a boring life. Yeah, I, you know, you, you might be right. I don't live with a lot of bitterness. I don't live with a lot of anger. Oh, I have those. I have those. Uh, I, I don't live with a lot of wrath. I don't live with a lot of violence. I don't, I don't live with a lot of those things. Why? Because of the work of Jesus Christ in my heart and life and the work of Jesus Christ in my family's heart and life. I am so thankful for not only the future benefit of salvation, but the present benefit of salvation. sure. So we dealt with that and we dealt with doctrinal matters and sin and judgment. And then we dealt with what we call dispensational or how God deals with dispensational matters related to the nation of Israel in chapters nine, 10, and 11. That's the primary focus, not solely, but the primary focus of chapters nine, 10, and 11. And then we come to chapter 12, chapter 12, verse number one, through chapter 15, verse number 13, and the Bible is going to deal with, through the inspiration of the Spirit, by the hand of the Apostle Paul, is going to deal with what we call practical Christianity. In other words, we've been dealing for 11 chapters with doctrinal matters. And doctrine matters. Doctrine simply means teaching. Uh, we live in a culture where sometimes people say, well, can I tell you what the Bible means to me? And I like to hear that stuff. Don't get me wrong, I do. I I enjoy hearing that stuff. It's a blessing, it's a benefit. I I enjoy hearing what the Bible means to people. It's wonderful. But more than knowing what the Bible means to you or even what the Bible means to me, I want to know what God intended for me to know when he gave us the word of God. Much more important than your opinion or my opinion about the Bible is God's opinion about the Bible. And so we have been looking at doctrinal matters, and now we're going to look at practical Christianity or how the Bible is played out in our daily life. And so this section is going to take us a little bit longer to get through because it is such a powerfully important passage of scripture. So if you have your Bibles, look at Romans chapter 12, verse number one. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, this paragraph runs through verse number two, but we can't go to verse number two today because I'm going to spend too much time in verse number one. Verse number two. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So look at this first phrase here. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, I don't know if you played junior high or high school sports, but I think you'll get this idea that whether you're in the eighth grade listening to a coach at a halftime speech in August in a football game, or you're hearing your mother implore you employ you, implore you to get better grades, you understand the importance of a motivational speech. I have more than a few times heard both of those. A coach that is yelling at you with what one might think is less than Christian care, and a German mother who is yelling at you with what one might know is less than Christian care to do better. But you understand the purpose of a motivational speech. By the way, if you're a guest here today, my mom is over here. Mom, would you stand? Would you guys welcome this beautiful lady to Canyon Ridge? She is 82 years old and I am so thankful for, for her. So thank- She's not really, I don't know how old she is. She's been around my whole life. Um, but she's 75. Are you 75? How old are you? Yeah, 76. Yeah, she's 76. She'll yell at me if I go over, but she won't say a word if I go under. Yeah, she's, she's a liar. Um, entire industries have been given to help people do better. TED Talks are extremely popular and became popular in 1984 to motivate people to do better. Masterclasses have been designed, and I'm for all of them, by the way, to encourage folks to do better. There are thousands of conferences. There are thousands of, uh, of speeches given every year to encourage people to do better in whatever area it is referring to, be it marriage, career, uh, your walk with Jesus, uh, the physical side of your life, whatever. Whatever the case may be, there is a multitude of people that will talk and encourage folks. And a good motivational speech is incredibly beneficial to our life. And, and truly I've been blessed by all of these, all of them. Well, that's not a new concept. The Bible has been motivating people since God gave us the word of God. I was just thinking uh, as I was studying for this message some some passages that motivate me and and encourage me to motivate others. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. The Bible says, "Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend." The Bible says in Hebrews chapter three verse number thirteen. But exhort one another daily, or encourage one another, or, or, or passionately push someone forward. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We we are called to be a people who who are motivated and encouraged to do better. And Paul is is motivating the people based on the doctrine that he just talked about, which we'll get into in just a second. Paul is motivating the Christians in Rome, the church at Rome, to do uh, more for the cause of Christ, to be more sincere in their walk with the Lord. That's what he's motivating them to do in chapters 12, 13, 14, in the first part of chapter 15 through verse number 13. And Paul is motivating them. And And it is, and I want you to notice this verse number one, it's a worshipful motivation. It is a worshipful motivation. The Christian's daily behavior is truly an act of worship. Worship is the surrender and submission to God. One commentator said this, worship is the way we live, not what we do on Sunday mornings. Worship is the way we live, not the songs that we sing. Or not simply the songs we sing. It would certainly be included in that for sure. Worship is born out of an understanding of who Jesus is. And so Paul says these first few words in Romans 12, 1, our text. I beseech you therefore, brethren, a worshipful motivation for those who are saved. For those who are saved. The word saved is a Bible word that means you've given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. We didn't come up with it. I know some people try to make fun of that word, but it's a beautiful word. I mean, I was lost and undone, I was on my way down, and someone saved me, uh, someone rescued me, uh, someone delivered me, all the same meaning of the word. And, and, and the Apostle Paul is writing here, and he says, I beseech you, I, I implore you, I, I beg you, I urge you, I, I want to urge you to devote yourself to God, is what he's talking about there.
0: If you like what you've heard so far, check out CanyonRidgeRadio.com. You can see videos and listen to hundreds of Bible messages that will help you in your walk with the Lord. You can also send a message to me and Pastor Chadwick. Check us out at CanyonRidgeRadio.com. Now, back to the message in progress.
1: Apostle Paul is writing here and he says, I beseech you, I, I implore you, I I beg you, I urge you. I, I want to urge you to devote yourself to God is what he's talking about there. I beseech you. In other words, he's saying, hey, believer, because you, you see this word brethren here that goes on. I beseech you brethren, that's believers or spiritual siblings or spiritual family. Paul says, I'm begging you, if you're a believer, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. I'm imploring you, believers. And he uses this interesting word between those two. He could have said, I beseech you, brethren. But, but he adds a word there. And it's so essential that we understand it from a biblical hermeneutic. Hermeneutics, the way we interpret the Bible. And the apostle Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Well, well, what does he mean by therefore? He He's talking about building on what has been said. Or building, and we're going to talk about this in a little more in depth in just a second, but building specifically on, on 9 to 11, on chapters 9, 10, and 11. But building really through the context of the whole book of Romans. Paul is saying, because of everything that I've said, because of everything that is written, I beseech you, I beg you, I, I implore you, I urge you, I, 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 I passionately desire this for you. Brethren, it's key. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this passage really isn't talking to you. I, I mean, no disrespect. Obviously, you know my heart. I mean, no disrespect. I want you to know Jesus as your Savior. I'm going to tell you. I've told you, and I'm going to tell you again. We sang about it. We'll talk about it again. We'll give you three or four more opportunities to try to hit it from every angle that we possibly can. And if you leave here today going, I still don't know Jesus as my Savior, I want to talk to you. Our staff would love to talk to you. The, the, the leadership in our church would love to visit with you because more than anything else in this world, we want you to know that when you die, heaven is your home and the peace that you can have on this lot on this earth. But he's talking to brethren. There's an importance of knowing God. No offering, is, as one commentator said, is acceptable to God unless we have first offered him our souls. For Christians, the first element of living a, 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 a holy and sanctified life and being presented before God is giving ourself to the Lord. And so Paul is talking to believers here. The unregenerate person, Paul is going to talk about something very, very practical, but the unregenerate person cannot give his body, his mind, or his will to the Lord if he has not given God himself to the Lord, himself to the Lord. He, he can't give God his, his body, his mind, his heart, his will, because he's not given himself. And so Paul is talking first to believers, and then you see in verse number one, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, notice this next phrase, by the mercies of God. It's a worshipful motivation flowing from the mercy of God. The mercy of God simply means this. It's a, it's a pity or a compassion which shows, uh, which God shows for the suffering of others. It's used in reference to God as the Father of mercies. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse number three says, blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts. I, I sometimes hear people say, well, the God of the Bible is so ruthless and, and so harsh and so hard. Nothing could be further from the truth. God of the Bible is so merciful and so gracious and so kind. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning. He's he's kind beyond measure. He knows us for what we are, and yet he loves us in spite of who we are. Everything that is good in this life is from the Father of mercies. Everything that is gracious and kind in this life is from the Father of mercies. He is the God of all comfort comfort. Lamentation chapter 3, verse 122 says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. If you remove the mercy of God, according to the scripture, we would be consumed. Think about that verbiage for a minute. It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. His mercy motivates us or should motivate us. God has shown us compassion and that he has saved us. God has showed us grace in that he convicts us. God has shown us courage in that he guides and he sanctifies us. We have received the mercies of his sonship that we studied in Romans chapter 8 verses 14 to 17. We've received mercy of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. We've received his mercy with the intercession of the Holy Spirit on our behalf. Romans chapter eight, verse number 26. We've received his mercy when the work of the Holy Spirit spreads the love of God within our heart. Romans chapter five, verse number five. God shows his son when Christ ministers to us the mercies of faith that are mentioned 30 times in Romans one through 11. The, the, The mercy of peace and hope. God's mercy include his shared righteousness, which we have dealt in depth with in this book. And so Paul is talking about all of this. And, and we even share in the glory of God that we studied in Romans chapter two, verse number 10 and five, verse number two and eight, verse number 18 and nine, verse number 23. And the honor of Christ that we studied in chapter two, verse number 10 and chapter nine, verse number 21. And, and, and the mercy of God is culminated with the salvation that we have because of Jesus Christ. See, the motivation for Christian living is the mercy of God. Your motivation is mercy. Satan wants to distort that in our lives. Satan wants to tell us that we, we can live a a life of freedom and license and, and liberty and do whatever we want because God is merciful. And if I've had one person say this to me, I've had countless people say this to me. Well, I'll keep doing what I'm doing because God hasn't killed me yet. Friends, what a vile interpretation and understanding of the character and nature of god well simply because god hasn't killed you isn't because he is pleased with what you do god hasn't killed any of us because he is merciful it's of his mercies that we are not consumed and so Paul is saying here that that the mercy of God is is what should motivate us. Scripture exhorts us to rely on the mercy of God, the tenderness of God, the compassion of God. Romans chapter two, verse number four. You'll see it on your screen, or you can look it up in your Bible. Despises thou the riches and goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Well, it's just how I am. Yeah, that's the problem. The goodness of God should lead you to change. Romans chapter nine, verse number 23. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Now, don't bring this up on the screen. I want you to see this. Turn over to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. I, I have it on the screen, but so often here's what people think, like, oh, that's just on the screen. No, I want you to see it in your Bible. Ephesians chapter two. Go there quickly. Just turn to the right. You'll find it. It's not that far unless you have one of those really large print Bibles. So for everybody over 50, it'll take you a while. I'm over 50. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 4. "'But God, who is rich in mercy, "'for his great love wherewith he loved us. "'Even when we were dead in sins, "'underline that, dead in sins. "'That means you were spiritually dead in sins. "'You could not, did not have access to God. "'Even when we were dead in sins, "'hath quickened us together in Christ, "'or God has quickened us "'or made us alive together with Christ. "'As Christ as life was resurrected from the dead, "'when you got saved, "'you were resurrected from a spiritual death. "'Verse number five, by grace ye are saved.'" So you're quickened together with Christ, by grace you are saved, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Here's what Paul is saying, that I need to be motivated by the mercy of God. He starts verse number four. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. So often people are motivated because they don't want to make God mad. I don't want to tick God off. And there's a place for that. Second Corinthians chapter five, talking about the judgment seat of Christ that every, when every Christian stands before the Lord. The Bible does say in verses 10 and 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. It's a fearful thing to stand before God. He is so holy and just and right. Make no mistake about that. But understand this. The motivation for why we do what we do is not because we're afraid that God's up in heaven with a giant fly swatter about to knock us out. The motivation that we do for why we do what we do is because God is incredible incredibly merciful to us incredibly merciful to us the bible says about you that satan wants to steal kill and destroy all satan wants to do is ruin your life satan has one fundamental desire to jack you up that is his desire He wants to ruin your life. He wants to ruin your family. He's going to lie to you. He wants to ruin your children. He's going to deceive you. He's going to play you. That's all Satan can do. He's going to try to get you to think stupid things. He's going to try to deceive you. That's why the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 8, beware lest anyone spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Let's be very, very candid. Satan wants to get you to think things that the world thinks, act the way the world acts, talk the way the way the world talks. Raise your children the way the world raises the children. It raises their children. Uh, be a, an employee like the world says to be an employee. A, and that is a, 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 a net deficit for what God desires of the believer. And God says, no, no, you need to be motivated not by fearing me, but by the mercy that I have for you. Now, if mercy, mercy doesn't move you, then fear should motivate you. But that's a last resort. The mercy of God is a far better motivator than the fear of God. So building on what we have seen over the last 11 chapters and focusing on the mercy of God, the mercy that Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 12, verse number 1, is very pointed. And it leads us to a physical response. A physical response.
0: You've been listening to Canyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick. Tune in next week as Pastor Chadwick continues this powerful series of messages from Romans. Speaking of, if you have any questions about what it means to be a Christian, the Bible, and how to go to heaven, we invite you to visit CanyonRidgeRadio.com for more information. We hope this episode of Canyon Ridge Radio has been an encouragement to you. Canyon Ridge Baptist Church is a growing church located in beautiful San Diego, California. If you're in the San Diego area, Make plans to visit us this Sunday at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 5 o'clock p.m. at 6866 Linda Vista Road. For more information about our church, pastor, or how to know Jesus as your Savior, visit our website at CanyonRidgeRadio.com.